Welcome to part two in our series on binge eating. Today, Tracy, Benjamin, and I will look at how guilt and shame are all wound up in our respective relationships with food. We talk about how these relationships were formed when we were children, around the dinner table. And Tracy, who is a super genius, discusses how she sees strict diets and dieting in general as a form of eating disorder. Be advised, in this episode, we call everyone to the proverbial plate. Vegans, vegetarians, persons on the keto diet, and the really, really insane carnivore diet. Really, we're focusing on anyone, including ourselves, who give up an inordinate amount of rental space in their head to the subject of food. We look at craving. How do our brains convince us to eat that extra thousand calories, or two, or three? Tracy discusses the conundrum of pregnancy, the subsequent weight gain, the horror of not fitting into her clothes, and the perils of donuts. And stay tuned, soon enough we'll have a third episode, Dessert, where we discuss food and the media. Thanks again. My name is Benjamin Russick, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast. Look, just tell me what to do. So Tracy Benjamin. Yes, sir. Your last name is my first name. It's true. It's a little little weird. I know. Because here we are sitting, Tracy and Benjamin. I almost named my son Benjamin. It would have been like Benjamin, Ben, Benjamin, (laughs) if I got. (laughs) That's funny. So we did the appetizer. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're doing the main course. That's right. Guilt and shame and food. Yum. That'll be great. Delicious. So guilt is when you perceive yourself to have done something wrong, whereas shame is a feeling of self-loathing about who you are. I want to start with how guilt and shame manifests with me when I was a kid regarding food, which was I felt a lot of shame about being overweight and looking bad in a sense that I wasn't good enough or really a good person. I had no social skills. I was a mess. I would eat as a way to compensate for feeling crappy because food was awesome. And for the moment, I'd feel good. And then I'd like, oh God, I just ate a bunch of food and it would pile onto the shame. And then, well, the shame is bigger. So now you go to the food again and it's this goddamn cycle. I know it well. You do. Yeah. And so that describes my relationship with food as a child and as an adult still actually. So would you like to talk about your relationship with food and how guilt and shame figures into it? Where does it show up? Well, I think it shows up in my ruminating thoughts of, oh God, I ate this again. I know I shouldn't have eaten this. I did it again. Oh God, here we go. What am I going to do to compensate for this? And then I feel bad because I let myself down again. Then I feel ashamed because it's like, I know better. I know that I shouldn't have done this. And I didn't do anything to stop myself from going overboard. And then there's this shame hangover. It's like the next day, then it goes into the next few meals of restriction because I overate. As I said before in our appetizer, I ate a lot as a kid. My weight was always watched on by my parents. They were always like, you know, you need to lose weight. You need to exercise. And so when I had no self-control, I would just go for it because nobody was watching. So it was almost like I was taking advantage of being neglected. I'm overeating and I'm not eating what I should be. But then there is another element of things not feeling fair. It didn't feel fair to me that I have friends who don't have weight problems Mm -hmm. and they can eat whatever they want. And so there was sort of this fuck it mentality, almost in a way that I was trying to compensate for the unfairness of, well, I can easily eat if I want to. 
And then I would feel bad. I would feel guilt Mm -hmm. and shame again because it wasn't fair that my friends could eat whatever they want. And, you know, oh, I have a fast metabolism. And then for me, it was like, okay, I just look at food and gain weight, you know? I still feel that. I have a lot of skinny friends and they don't like to eat. And when I hang out with them or we go to restaurants, I sometimes will eat bite for bite. Like, what does it feel like to eat like a skinny person? And it is, it's confounding. Or people who are like, no bread. I won't have any bread. No bread. They'll say it to the wait staff and it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) oh. You've previously mentioned lots of really intense dynamics around the dinner table when you were a child. And I'd love to hear about that. Well, I actually just figured out a piece of it recently. Since I live in my childhood home, the dinner table is exactly where it was as a kid. I now sit in my mom's seat and my husband sits. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. My husband sits in my dad's seat and my son sits in my seat. Can I just say the dinner table that we all ate at when I was a kid um, was a place of such negativity and horribleness. Now that dining room is completely changed into sort of a quasi-functional storage space for like China and stuff. Yeah. And I just, I get some sort of satisfaction every time I walk by it. It's like, fuck you, you're gone. (laughs) And I just can't imagine you around that table still. Well, it's a different table, but it's in our tables in the exact same spot and it's a little bit smaller. So yeah, my brothers were terrible. You know what they did? What they do? This is such a tangent, but um, they would chew gum and then put it under the table (laughs) in my spot on the kitchen table. And so my parents would get mad at me that I put gum under the table because it was in my spot. Little shitheads. I know, right? You you didn't have any DNA testing back then. So you couldn't prove like, hey, this didn't come from me. I know. Yeah. Um, There's a kit now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I realized recently my husband came home from work. I had made dinner and he was stressed out because of traffic. He was sitting down in my dad's spot. I was sitting down in my mom's spot and I could feel his stress. And I started to like jam food in my mouth because... I was stressed out for him. Like I was carrying his stress. And then I caught myself because I was like, oh shit, I'm eating my feelings right now. So I stopped and I asked him like, are you aggravated? You know, like, are you in a bad mood? But it just triggered this memory of my dad coming home from work and being so aggravated, most likely because of traffic and us just not knowing what to do with that anger and just like eating those feelings. Do you think that's sort of a shame piece? Like you're holding this other person's crap and you so... Well, I know that I'm an empath. Uh And so I just absorb other people's feelings so easily because I can't say anything. I feel trapped in a way. So I think that eating is a way for me to not have to say anything and also to sort of pacify my emotions at that time. But it also sounds like you're sort of devouring anxiety. Oh, totally. Like you're chewing it up and making it go away. Yeah. It's so interesting. Like you're you're almost like you're, you're slaying this beast. Yeah, it's like I'm Pac-Man in a way. That's interesting. Eating the ghosts, like the the memories. Ooh, cool analogy. It's very stressful. I could do a whole podcast on Pac-Man now. Yeah. Yeah, so I realized, you know, in our family dynamic, we were all really hungry by the time my dad got home from work. And so then when you're hungry, you get hangry. 
and mm-hmm. we're all kind of in a bad mood. And so then my dad leading the way of being upset, I think we were all kind of racing to finish dinner so that we wouldn't have to sit there and deal with it, I mm-hmm. guess. You described your father as the diet police. Yeah. And there was a beet salad incident. Can you speak to that? Oh, God. We were on a family trip. I think I was in college, maybe. My dad goes back and forth between low carb and normal eating, but he is the carb police. My mom was always so irritated by that because he would say like no carbs at home and then we would go out and then he'd eat carbs. And so my mom could never keep it straight. She was also annoyed that his restrictions punished everybody else. Was he grossly overweight? Not really. His weight definitely fluctuated. I think what we learned in our family is that when your clothes don't fit, that's when it's like time to the kibosh on the the sirens come out. Yeah. Yeah. I think my dad was always motivated by fitting into his clothes. Um, I can relate to that. Yeah. I'm like that as well. So we went on a family trip and we went to this restaurant in New York called Balthazar and it's an amazing restaurant. My mom ordered a beet salad and my dad just gave her shit for it. Because it had carbs? Because beets are sugar. It's terrible for your body and da da da. Beets are like one of the best things you can eat. I know, right? They have so many minerals in them. And- it's like saying, don't eat asparagus. Yeah. <laughs> He won't eat beets. He won't eat carrots. Won't eat Um, carrots? No. Like if you make a stew and there's carrots, he'll pick them out. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, If there's like a side dish of vegetables, he'll make sure there's no carrots in them or like potatoes. Everything has to be like uh, spinach or broccoli. I know with anorexics, that's the whole. There's this whole thing around control and being able to yeah. control your world and feeling a sense of security because you have your your tentacles and everything. That things are going to be okay because you've nothing's going to move without your say so. Yeah. How much of that do you think was about his desire to make sure things were stable in his world? I don't know. I'm sure it has a lot to do with control. But then the flip side is he may have gone and set out those parameters, but then when dessert came, he would have some. But with the beet salad, my dad got mad that my mom was ordering it. And my mom just like turned into this like petulant child. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. She's like, you know, fuck you. I'm going to eat it. So she ordered it and we all sat there in silence (laughs) while she ate it. And it was just like. That's awesome. It was delicious. It was great to see that my mom just had enough, you know, when you are with somebody who is restricting and they make it everybody else's problem, it can be very, How about it's a big buzzkill. Fucking annoying. Yeah. How about that? Totally. So annoying. When they're bringing out their vegetarian flag and they plant it in the middle of the table or their vegan flag. You yeah. Know? It's like- I don't know. I think that if you have restrictions, it shouldn't be anybody else's problem. Well, you mentioned uh, we had to talk about politically motivated eating disorders. Oh, God. (laughs) Which I thought was so hilarious and so true that because, you know, we talk about restriction, there's there's all these diets out there. Diets work if you follow them, but people aren't following them. Often they're crazy gets attached to that. 
whether it's a sense of control, like some people get a sense of euphoria if they starve themselves a little bit. Yeah. There can be like a holier than thou aspect of it. And I think that's one of my triggers. I have a lot of vegan and vegetarian friends and not all of them are alike, um, but there are a few that are very particular and judgy about their choices and not eating meat. And so I feel like I'm super judged when I'm eating with them. What I face is they look through a menu and it's like, meat, Uh like, oh, that's disgusting. You know, especially if I post something online, it will be like, oh, that's great. Except for the meat. I would totally eat that, but like take that off and, you know, whatever. It's just sort of like a do unto others situation. Like I don't look at a menu and look at the vegetarian dish and be like, oh my God, that looks disgusting. You know, I don't balk at tofu. You mentioned eating disordered thinking is when too much of your brain is devoted to eating. Yeah. How much of your mind is all about food? In my experience, and I'll speak for me, that the holier-than-thou vegetarians and vegans that I have met in my life were just as preoccupied as with food as I was, but just in a totally different way. Like, we were both mentally ill. I just happened to eat everything, and they only happened to eat a third of it. Yeah. You know, and in a very particular way. And then it has to... A lot of them were very... I'm going to get some hate. I don't mind. Very meticulous about the way it looked on the plate. And they would read every little label and talk about where was this grown. You know, the Portlandia? And they do yeah. that. It was, it's, that's just real. Like, they get into... You know, was this locally sourced? It's like, I mean, GMO. how local are you going to get? Your backyard, is that local enough? Or is there lead in the dirt? You know, they try to shame others. Yeah. I, feel like. I don't think they consciously are doing that. Maybe they are. Are they? Are they a they? Can we say that they're, they're a group? I guess so. Some of them. I don't know. I mean, there's like a full spectrum of it. Some people yeah. don't eat meat because they don't like the way it tastes. Some people don't eat meat because for environmental reasons. And some people don't eat meat because of animals. I guess if we're putting this all in one bucket of eating disorders, which I think is really interesting. A bucket? <laughs> yeah. An eating like disorder slop. bucket. <laughs> Just that, you know, you and I have kind of the binge eating thing and yeah. we, our shame and guilt goes inward and somebody who's a, or whatever eating restriction they have, like no dairy or I don't eat, I eat kosher and this is, you don't mix beef with milk. And there's a kind of an externalized, y'all are, you all get the guilt and shame. Like it's, it's an eating disorder that does the opposite of what ours does. Yeah. It's like they're throwing their voice in a way. You know, this is the thing is that the people who are super judgy are the ones that you hear from. Yeah. It just seems like that's the whole picture. And so I really want to say for the record that we are not talking about all vegetarians and all vegans. Uh -uh. Any extreme of any philosophy is annoying. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, there are meat eaters who are annoying. The world is not the, black and white. No. I mean, I, I know a guy who he's on this thing called the carnivore diet. You literally eat nothing but meat. Oh. That is all. Like, no, like. Do you have to hunt it? No, but whatever. It would be ideal, I guess, if you did. And he's irritating about it. He's like, the food pyramid is all backwards. LOL, LOL, LOL. And he thinks that he's sort of in this superior position of he knows the great secret. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you're an idiot. Shut up. I don't want to hear from you. There's a joke. It's like, how do you, how do you know if somebody's vegan? How do you know? Don't worry. They'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Did you want to say more on diets and restriction? I mean, have you ever done low carb? 
Oh, yeah. That's how I initiated my, I mean, I lost about 100 pounds and I started it with Atkins. Yeah. And what was remarkable about it is that I had never experienced real hunger before, I don't think. Before Atkins? Mm -hmm. Because I would just eat all the time. And the thing about Atkins is that protein stabilizes your hunger. You don't get hungry until you're actually hungry. At least I didn't. I I remember driving down the street and suddenly I was so hungry, I I don't know if I can drive. I just wasn't used to it. Yeah. So low carb worked to a point and now it no longer works. It makes me feel less bloated. Yeah. That's the only thing that I can see with it. I get these flu-like symptoms. Really? Yeah, I feel gross. People complain about keto flu or something. People call it like a carb detox, and I think that's bullshit. I don't think the body is meant to eat nothing but protein and fat. I just think it's bad for you. Yeah. Honestly. For me, the Atkins diet has kind of devolved into I eat carbs during the day and protein and fat at night. Well, isn't Atkins now just like keto? Keto is uh, much more fat heavy. So the idea with keto is I think that protein can be converted into carbs. They're much more meticulous and much more disordered about your fat to protein ratio. Okay. That's my understanding. So they're like micromanaging. Yes, very much so. They're ketosis. What is it? Ketosis? They're ketosis. Ketosis. The thing is, is that a lot of the people that are really meticulous about keto are also really meticulous about taking care of their bodies in the gym Yeah. and how much they eat and portion control. Again, any diet works. They all work. Every single one of them. They're fine. Just don't eat a ton of food and you're good. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if you're on something like keto or Atkins or a high carb diet with no fat and whatever, you're going to gain weight if you eat too much. Mm. The end. I know because I've done it. (laughs) Back to what I was saying before of things not being fair with other people. When I've gone on those restrictions, my problem and my trap is that I'll start losing weight and then it's like, oh, great. I get to have a binge, you know? And then- I'm upset because I can't eat like a regular person. Yeah. You know, I can't just like have a donut once a week and Who has a donut once a week? I don't know. Who are these people? That was people? a bad example. <laughs> what I mean to say is that I think that there are people who do eat donuts once a week. And yeah. They're, they're very strange people that they can do that and manage. I envy them. I would like to have one donut a week. Um, you also said that your father lost weight after your mother passed. Yeah. And then him and his fiance would split entrees and at the dinner table and you'd have to hear about her. They would Oh man. It sounds like he went from sort of the carb stuff. Now he's in this totally now again, it's the thing of of how much percentage of your brain does food take up. Yeah. It's like just because you've lost the weight, motherfucker, does not mean you are past this thing. Yeah. Well, It kind of messed up my brain after my mom died because I saw that she kept my dad like fat and happy, you Mm -hmm. know, and I was really concerned for my dad because he was losing weight. And part of it is because he didn't have my mom to feed him. But Mm -hmm. I think part of him really enjoyed losing weight. Mm -hmm. It was like easier for him to lose weight when he didn't have to deal with my mom cooking for him. He was kind of bragging about how he was close to his college weight. I just see him as being really thin now, like super thin. And when I look at old pictures of him, he seemed a bit happier. And I don't know if it's because my mom was alive or if he was just like eating, you know? Yeah. But it's almost like the joy can get sucked out of your life when food doesn't have that Weed. It's like you and I have an, an overabundance of joy associated with food. Yeah. And then 
we have to cut out. Like a lot of people, I don't think know that they're cutting joy out of their lives when they cut food out like that. But I think you and I know it. Well, it's also entertainment. Why would you go to a restaurant and have them make you food that you can make at home? If you're going to go to a steakhouse and you say like, I don't want butter, I don't want any of this, no potato, why are you going out to eat? You know, for me, food has always been entertainment. I will travel for the best falafel. It's like an event to go out to eat. And so when people go with restrictions, it sucks the fun out of the experience. Yeah, I remember doing that on Atkins. It was stupid. I stopped going out to eat because of that reason. Yeah. Yeah, whenever I'm in a heavy dieting phase, I don't go out. It's a sense of community, you know, and it's like you're fucking up the whole experience. Well, also, it's kind of rude to tell the chef what they need to make. You ruin their sense of pride in their food, too. I wouldn't feel good as a chef if I was making like a fish dish that normally has butter on it, but like take all the butter out. It's just gross. Um, You brought some food journals. Yes. You want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Tracy has brought with her a series of bright yellow. Yeah, they're bright yellow. Food journals that I think you published. Yes, I did. Um, I saw them in my Etsy shop. I created this food journal. It goes on for like 12 weeks, each journal. The whole idea is to write down what you're eating just so that you stay accountable to what you're eating. To back up a bit, I used my fitness pal and Noom and I did calorie counting Mm -hmm. and I found it so oppressive. Can you describe what Noom is? Noom is just like an app on your phone where you enter in whatever you consume and then you log your exercise and so it will tell you what your calorie deficit is. My problem is, and what I learned through food journaling too, is that on Fridays I can just go wild and just like not track anything. Because? Friday is like a trigger day for me to be like, fuck it. Why is Friday a trigger day for you? Just because it's the end of the week? Yeah, I think it's like I am out of willpower. And then there's part of me that feels like I deserve a treat, you know? And so then you mix in like Friday happy hour and then I'm screwed. Yeah. So That happens to me on Saturdays. Really? Yeah, because I usually go to jujitsu Saturday morning. Okay. If I go to jujitsu in the morning, it means I had to go to sleep early the night before, which means I had to eat early, which means I haven't eaten in a long time. Yeah. So by the time I got out of jujitsu, I've burned like, I don't know, 800 calories and I've lost three or four pounds of water weight. And I'm just ready to go, man. Ready to eat all the things. Do you you weigh yourself? Sure. Often? Yeah. How often do you weigh yourself? Uh, Lately, I haven't been. But when I'm really doing it every day, twice a day sometimes. I can get into real trouble with weighing myself. How so? Because I'm like, okay, cool. I can eat now. And then I'll gain the weight back. Yeah, instantly. Right now, thankfully, like we've had discussions about binge eating. So it's been in the forefront of my mind. I'm in a good place. I've been exercising a lot and I've lost some weight. And Uh so I'm really catching myself. This does not give you permission to eat more or to have a binge, like keep the momentum and keep going. That's the trouble I find with weighing myself. But anyways, with my food journal, instead of counting calories, I just make 
a note of what I've been eating because sometimes I can't visualize what I had for breakfast. And so I don't really know where I am health-wise throughout the day. So it has like breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, and then there's water intake and physical activity. And then I write down like how the day was. Okay. I was actually going through these with my son the other night. Um, I go through food phases. I'll have the same thing for like a week and then get burnt out of it. But he was noticing my food phases. And then he's also like noticing the gaps of when I stopped tracking my food. And he was like, what's that all about? And it probably came from a binge, the Uh discrepancy in time (laughs) where it was like a Friday and I was just like, fuck it. This whole weekend is blown. I think when I go out to eat and when I'm eating with other people, it's just like, you know, blinders go up and I can't advocate for myself. So that's when I stopped like food journaling is because to me, that unfair part of me is like, why do I have to keep an eye on this when like nobody else is? I feel like my brain transforms when I want something really badly. My reasoning changes. You know, I'm no longer like I'm my hunger and my cravings and my emotions are leading the charge. Yeah. And my thoughts will arrange themselves around that feeling instead of the other way around. Is it like, I want this, I want this, I have to have it? Well, it's like, I want this. And what kind of reasoning do I have to go through to get it? What sort of, what philosophy do I have to create? Is it like a justification? Yeah, justification. But it feels like you're almost like your DNA is being rewritten. Like your base code is like someone's fucking with the the stuff on the bottom, you know? Do you calculate like, okay, well then I'll work out and I'll do penance for... Yeah, like today I I came into, you know, the studio and Mm -hmm. I had two protein bars because yesterday I had this huge steak and I just ate too much. And so today I'm punishing myself by not eating as much. So, but what happens is, is that the next time I want something huge, I'm like, oh, like that one day when I didn't eat shit because I ate a lot the day, I'll just do that. Yeah. You know, or I'll work out or I did jujitsu how many times this week or whatever, you know? Yeah. The justification process is very real for me. But when I'm not hungry, I look at that and I'm like, that is such absurd reasoning. Like I see it so clearly, like the fuck were you thinking? And I'm... (laughs) And you would think that doing that enough times, thousands and thousands and thousands of times in one's life, you would eventually figure out that when you're in that state, like, hey, maybe you shouldn't listen to this little voice that's saying, you know, devil. That's It's called there. shark eyes. Shark eyes? Yeah. What's that mean? Um, when sharks eat, their eyes go black. There's like this protective um, film that goes over. Oh, so wow. they're basically blind when they're eating. Wow. So that their prey doesn't mess up their eyesight. And so when you're in shark eyes, it's like you have, or, you know, or like a horse with blinders on. Yeah. You don't see anything else. It's just like tunnel vision of what you want to eat. Those are amazing metaphors. I love the shark eyes. Yeah. They happen late at night in front of the refrigerator. (sighs) Yeah. Mine can happen any time of the day. I, I often get hungry when I'm actually thirsty. Yeah, me too. There's some statistic that like 80% of the time you're thirsty and you're not hungry. And the the fucked up thing is that even if I know that and I'm like, okay, all you you have to do, Ben, is drink a glass of water. I'm like, no, I don't want to break this high. Because the idea is that when you're really hungry and you eat, it's like a mini spiritual experience. It's amazing. Why do I want to fuck up this... You know, I'm, I'm going to go to the corner store and get me some cold grapes and eat them because I'm thirsty. I was just going to suggest grapes. Like grapes are the... uh, You know what's really good? Don't tell me frozen because they're not good. 
No, no. Well, okay, good. Well, hold on. <laughs> so you, you get, you do, you do put them in the freezer, but you don't freeze them completely and you put lemon juice on them. Oh. And that creates a little. sour? Well, that it creates a little crust of sour around the sweet. Oh. That forms because it's so cold. Okay. See what I'm How long does that take? Uh, it depends on your freezer. It depends on like the grape. Like an hour, two hours? Uh, like, well, to partially freeze a grape, I would say a little under an hour. Okay. Yeah, I love cold grapes. When I was pregnant with my son, I craved cucumber and green grapes constantly. What was it like to have weird cravings? Oh my God. Cravings shift when you were pregnant. It Tell was me about that. To satisfy a food fantasy, like I would get really specific cravings. Like I want tater tots with like a burger that has an onion ring on it, you know, (sighs) or with a little bit of barbecue sauce. Like I was so specific in what I was craving. And then when my food fantasy was actualized, it was like, ah. Um, Wow. But there is this one time when I was pregnant and I wanted donuts really badly we went to Krispy Kreme in Daly City. I ate six donuts in one sitting. See, that's the difference between you and me. I would eat six donuts at every sitting. Oh, I could like <laughs> max out at three. Uh, no way. Not pregnant. No way. Really? No, I'm a I'm a different animal. Yeah. I mean, I am. I'm. You're like garbage disposal kind of. Yeah. Well, yeah. I talk. I think I talked about that last time. Like, I'll eat until I am sick. Yeah. It's terrible. There is like a governing part of me that's like you can't do it. Six donuts is a lot, though. Yeah, it was. It yeah. felt very shameful. But also, you're pregnant. Didn't you justified. feel like you had you had license to eat what you wanted because you were pregnant? And your body was making demands upon you, and you're you're big anyway. I mean, I know that sounds that was, kind of awful to was, say, but like it was a total mind fuck to be pregnant. To be honest with you, because I was so jealous of people who were losing weight mm-hmm. while I was pregnant. I just wanted to lose weight because it was really hard to step on a scale and see my number go up and know that it's like, it's a baby, obviously. I gained 37 pounds when I was pregnant, which is high. Well, it was higher than what they wanted me to gain. Um, And then I gave birth like an eight, well, he was almost nine pounds. Uh So it's very weird to see the number go up on a scale. I did not like that. It was really tough. And then after you give birth, it's like, oh, whoa, I gained weight in my back and in my legs and in my butt. It wasn't just my stomach. Right. You know? What was really interesting is how many people wanted to push food on me. Um, and also like, you know, you can't drink alcohol. So it's like, what do you do? You can eat. Yeah. So it was a weird time. It's like all the all the rules get thrown up in the air. And then you like you're left with baby weight. And that forced me to go to Weight Watchers. I did that for a while. Speaking of like weighing less for jujitsu. Um Say more. I went to Weight Watchers because I had 19 pounds to lose. Uh-huh. And my weighing date was on Saturday, uh-huh. Saturday mornings. That was the only time in my life where Fridays were like, starve yourself. Yeah. <laughs> like don't. Don't eat so much. Don't be a piggy. So I would just cut off eating after 5 p.m. My Fridays were not very social because you can't like hang out with people and not eat. And then I would get weighed, make sure I go to the bathroom before I got weighed, make sure that I wore like the lightest clothes, flip flops, take them off, you know, then that gave me like license to eat. I connect every pound that I gain to the way that I think I look to other people. 
even doing this interview, I knew it was going to be taped. So I was like, oh gosh, I should like diet and lose a couple pounds for this. And cause I'll look bad. Cause you know, you gain supposedly weight on these things. 10 you know, pounds. 10 pounds or some shit. Camera angles. Yeah. Camera angles. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your question? Body image. Yeah. How you, how you think you look. Is that a thing for you? It depends in the environment I'm in. Like if I'm around a bunch of skinny people uh-huh. and they're complaining about their weight, right. it's like, oh shit, you know? Okay. Well then why, what is your desires to lose weight connected to? Oh, for me, it's yeah. like fitting in my clothes. Interesting. Yeah. But not the way you look. No. Fascinating. Yeah. It's okay. like, I know that I have access to so many clothes if I lose weight and they're all in my wardrobe. This is that's your dad's shit. Yeah. Right. It's like, to me, the ultimate shame is buying clothes that are up a size. And that comes from my mom. My mom was always thin. And then later on in life, her metabolism caught up with her and her eating habits caught up with her. And she didn't have a history of like having to lose weight. So I know that there's a maximum size that I want to be. And like when I pass that, it's like, okay, time to start restricting. I'm actually wearing my fat pants today. These black ones, like the blue ones are smaller. But yeah. I felt like I ate so much yesterday that I was afraid to put on my blue jeans this morning. So I, I put on feeling. the black ones. Yeah. I don't even know if they'll fit or not. I don't even know where I'm at. I just know that I didn't want to deal with it. So I put on these fucking things that sag like crazy and I have to yeah. keep pulling them up. And There's been some times where I've really overindulged in eating and then I will end up putting on my skinny clothes just to really shame myself. I'll wear clothes until they're dead because I don't want to deal with going clothes shopping because it's the, I hate shopping for clothes. Yeah. I mean, if I suddenly lost 30 pounds, like I think shopping for clothes would be an amazing experience. Well, that's the interesting thing about the world now is that there are so many different sizes available to people. It's different now. Like yeah. I remember going to a big and tall store back in the day, but those don't, those don't really exist so much. It's yeah. Like now it's just size. like XL, XXL, XXXL, you know? I gotta say that I usually uh, recoil against politically motivated, when people talk about fat shaming and all those terms. Yeah. I just can't stand them. It's, they sound pretentious to me. And kind of like people are using them as like power plays to push other people around, like virtue signal. And yeah. it just kind of makes me kind of sick for some reason. So but, are you like for body positivity? Well, I, yeah, I don't like the phrase. Okay. I just think it, it just irritates me that there's something about it that makes it sort of like somebody wants to kind of wave their, it's like the veganism flag at the dinner table. There's something about it that just, that I find to be completely annoying. However, I really, the flip side of it, I am really pleased to see like runway models who don't look like my ballpoint pen. Yeah. And I think that is really good. I know that Gap and Old Navy have been doing this, but they have plus size models. So if you want to see what the clothes look like on somebody who's bigger. Or normal. Or normal. Normal. Well, that's the thing. I'm in between normal and the plus size model. So Uh it's like, I can't see fully what the clothes would look like. So I have to use my imagination. But I know that if I had a bigger body, I would be so happy that I could see exactly what it looked like. This is a strange tangent. Have you seen the reaction videos to The Little Mermaid going around? A little bit, not fully. Well, it's played by 
What is the how, deal with that? Well, it's played by a black actress. Yeah. And there's this moment where there's the trailer and then the kids will see her face. Yeah. And it sees the most adorable black children you've ever seen in your life. And they're stoked that they're, they get to they see. They go nuts. There's this yeah. one like, mom, mom, she's black. She's, and she's floored. Yeah. You know, um, well, representation does matter. It does. You know? Absolutely. Even as I recoil against all the political stuff, I grudgingly admit that it's really important yeah. to have people who look like like most of the human population is not built like those people, those models, those, right. those thinner people. They're just not. This the thing that there's an exception to all of that now is that there's still not people who are not conventionally attractive being represented in things. Especially if you look at old movies, you see that people would not be considered attractive, like up to our standards now. Yeah, that's true. What's his name? Who's the cowboy, the famous cowboy? Clint Eastwood? No. Um, uh, John Wayne? John Wayne. Yeah. Not traditionally attractive by today's no. standards at all. No. Now you have to have fake teeth. People have fillers. People used to have regular teeth. And regular um, muscles too. Like you have to be And cut. regular noses. Regular noses. Yeah. Even though there's representation, different races, the people that are being represented are usually really attractive. Yeah. It's so true. it's like I there's still Sam Lamont ways to go. Talks about pretty privilege. Yeah. He's right. Oh yeah. Well, when you start losing weight and you see that people are like, Whoa, you look great. And they smile at you. Yeah. And they make eye you, contact with you. You get more attention. You it's get, weird. Yeah, but but palpably more everywhere from men yeah. and women equally and children and freaking dogs on the street, I feel yeah. like. Like it, it messes up your brain. It does mess up your brain. It makes you very cynical. Whenever in my life anyone ever told me I was good looking, I had so much biodysmorphia that it was a moment of cognitive dissonance for me where I would have to resolve the cognitive dissonance by saying that this person was was trying to flatter me or had just really, really, really strange tastes in men. And I still do that. Like if someone pays me a compliment, my brain will be like, no, that's that's not accurate. Yeah, I have a hard time taking a compliment as well. Yeah, in that area? Yeah, I think there's that voice of shame within that. Why are they saying this? So with... with uh, women who struggle with anorexia and I think bulimia too, there's this guy called Ed, which is the eating disorder, mm -hmm. but it's usually a male voice in their head that's criticizing them and telling them what they have to do and how they have to behave and stuff. And I feel like that's just a personified shame. I do find that my shame has agency and will yeah. tell me, no, that's that's not true. And this is how it is. And this is this is how what you're going to do for the rest of the day. You're going to do there. You're going to work out there. You're going to eat that. I don't know. I just feel run by it. I think also if you grow up with uh, like being in an environment where you see your parents give people false compliments, I think you can kind of internalize that people are bullshitting. Yeah. Um, what do you say to others who are struggling with binge eating? You're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, food is a powerful drug. What I've learned is just the more practice you have taking a pause between putting food in your mouth mm -hmm. and thinking about why you're putting it in, in your mouth, you become better at preventing binges from happening. And when you talk about it to other people, you don't have to carry that shame and it's not so isolating. And then like the space in between your binges can lengthen. Yeah. What do you have to say to people? Knowing you has been really revelatory. Yeah. 
Tracy, for those of you listening at home, Tracy will send me memes of food that speak to my soul. Yeah. Uh, I think the one that she sent me that messed me up the most was this, I think it was a TikTok of a woman. She had a croissant. Oh, yeah. And she... And she ripped the croissant apart and the center came out of the croissant. It was sort of this round, sort of glorious. It was like the core of the croissant, yeah. kind of like like this beautiful, white, fluffy thing. And she's like, this is the crab meat of the croissant. Because mm-hmm. when you crack open a crack shell and you see the, the, the meat in there and it's like oh, yeah, it's you glorious. associate with butter and it's just amazing. Yeah. But it was amazing how like your brain does the same thing as my brain, which makes me think that other people's brains are doing this thing too. And the woman in the video, her brain did that. And so maybe my relationship with food is really common. Like maybe lots of people are this way. I mean, especially in my business, the goal is always to make food like food porn. You know, it's like (laughs) drippy and glistening and plump. And we're going to, we're going to do another episode eventually called the dessert, which is basically the dessert episode. Like this is the main course where we talk about food and the media. Yeah. Well, we're just inundated with food constantly. It's my job. I have to create food for a living. Yeah. And so if you have that kind of job and you have issues with food, it can be really challenging. It's like an alcoholic being a bartender. Or a sommelier. Yeah. Which I've actually run into and he didn't want to change careers. Anyway. um, How do you taste new wine then? You change careers. Yeah. Tracy Benjamin. Yes, sir. For those out there in the world who are listening to this, Mm -hmm. which I'm sure are legion, where can they find your amazing content? Well, I have a website called Shutterbean. So it's shutterbean.com. You can find me on Instagram at Shutterbean. And I'm also at the Handwriting Club. So shutter is in like shuttering a window and then bean, like a bean. Yeah. Which is a- Like refried beans. Refried beans. But just bean. But bean. Just one. Just one bean and one shutter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's what I chose on the internet like in 2007. That's amazing. <laughs> I had no foresight of like what- Well, it's it proof that staying in the game is probably almost as important or more important than the branding itself. Yeah. It's I like, am not a quitter- it's just like you stuck in the game and you're still here and now you're making a living off of doing, it's amazing that you do that. Like Still kicking it. Thanks. Yeah, it's um, it's been cool to see my creativity grow. That was the reason why I started in the first place. So I'm pretty amazed at what I can do now compared to back then. What's coming in the future for your website? What do you have any plans? Hmm. Well, I've been thinking about doing a podcast. Oh, so okay. Do that. Yeah, I do a lot more creative work now. I do. I have the handwriting club, so mm-hmm. I've created a few workbooks and hoping to teach classes. You're into succulents. Yeah, I love succulents. Yeah. All right, I'm I think, a crazy plant lady. I think we're done. What do you think? Yeah. I feel complete. Do you feel, do you feel complete? I think we need dessert, though. Where dessert is coming. Yeah. Yes, it is. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can reach me at benjaminrusick at gmail.com or check out my website at benjaminrusick.com. And as always, if you find your plate is full, no, I'm not going to say that this week. Look, have a nice time. Check out our next episode. Come up in a few weeks. It's going to be great. Dessert, food in the media. Tell your friends, tell everybody, check us out. All right, take care.